0: It's been um, interesting to reflect on my own um, relationship or my own experience of the Lord's Prayer as we, as we stand on the edge of this series, you know, the next five weeks of exploring the breadth and the depth of this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Because on the one hand, I have an incredible depth of experience with the Lord's Prayer, with reciting the Lord's Prayer, because as a, an elementary school student in Ontario who's older than the age of 30, I recited this prayer, the one we just heard, literally thousands of times between the first day of kindergarten and the last day of my grade 8 education. Between those nine years, I, I said that prayer every morning before class, 1,800 Times. It's like this prayer was drilled into my spirit through the mode of pure, mind-numbing repetition of words that we didn't understand. Of a prayer that we, we didn't know what we were praying. We didn't know what we were asking for. We didn't even know what these words meant. But there we were every morning standing and praying this prayer while the Muslim kids stood out in the hall and waited for us to be done. In some respects, as I think back over my life, I have this deep familiarity with the Lord's Prayer. And yet at the same time, that driven in by my school experience, my church experience left me with an incredible unfamiliarity with the Lord's Prayer. I prayed it 1,800 times at school. I don't remember a single time When we ever prayed this prayer together in worship as a church growing up. And I've been pastoring this church for 17 years and I only remember one, maybe, maybe two times in my 17 years that were 16 and a half that we prayed this together as a church. Because we had a different conception, we come from a tradition where prayer is thought about differently. Prayer is a spontaneous thing; it's an act of the heart. You you say to God what you're feeling and what you're thinking. You you just talk to God about life from the heart. That's what it means to pray authentically, and it does. And I've said that in this calendar year, from this very platform, that that's the kind of prayer that God wants to hear from us. And so we didn't. We tried to avoid what Jesus called the meaningless repetition of words in prayer. We never recited the Lord's Prayer. Though churches from every tradition have done so in every century on every continent of the globe for the entire history of the church. I never prayed this prayer personally. This was never an individual spirituality thing for me. I... I never incorporated it into my prayer life with God until maybe eight or or 10 years ago. Uh, Despite the fact that since the days of the early church, Christians have been urged to pray this prayer three times a day. It was this incredible familiarity on the one hand with the words of the Lord's Prayer and an incredible unfamiliarity on the other hand with the power of it, with the, the r- incredible role that um, it can play in the life of those who, who pray it. And so we sit at the beginning of this series, this five-week series, about to study the Lord's Prayer for five weeks. And the reason, ultimately, that we want to study it is simple, it's because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6-9, this then is how you should pray. Jesus says, if you want to understand how prayer works, if you want to understand how to communicate with God, if you want to understand what it means to live in a two-way relationship with God, if you want to know what it means to pray, pray like this. Pray in the pattern of this prayer. Pray according to the values that are embodied in the prayer I'm about to teach you. In fact, in Luke, Jesus goes even further. He says, the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. It's the only time they ever ask Jesus to teach them anything. And Jesus says, when you pray, say this. In other words, when you pray, recite these words. Whereas my experience of the Lord's prayer, on the one hand, was mindless repetition and on the other hand, an absolute absence of experience for Jesus, which neither of which are Jesus' heart. For Jesus, the heart of prayer is to pray this prayer often with the heart of authentically coming before God to talk to him about life. And that's what we want to unfold over the next five weeks, how this prayer works to be the way that we communicate Jesus in a way that unfolds for us all of the life that he wants us to live. And so for Jesus, when you, he says, you know, when, if you want to pray, this then is how you should pray. This is what a prayer ought to look like. And you begin when you pray with addressing God. That's how every conversation begins. It begins with figuring out how to address the person that you're going to be talking to in a way that is suitable to the relationship that you have. Every once in a while, I'll, they sit down to write an email, and I think, well, dude, how do I start this? Is this a dear Dr. So-and-so, or is this a hello, Mr. So-and-so, or is this hi, John, or is this hey, you, or hey, guys, or yo, or what up, or like what, what kind of address encapsulates the kind of relationship that I have with the person with whom I'm corresponding. That's what conversation is. And Jesus says, when you enter into this conversation with God that we call prayer, enter into it this way. He says, our father in heaven. Remember that the God you are conversing with is your father in heaven. Now, I don't think Jesus would have been surprised if the image of a father was troublesome for some people. I think there were bad dads in the ancient world, just like there are bad dads in the modern world. And I think Jesus knew that that metaphor could be troublesome for people who had a, an absent dad, or an apathetic dad, or an angry dad, or an abusive dad. Someone whose dad was distant, or neglectful, or negligent, or um, just incompetent, or distracted, or misguided or whatever. If you've had a bad experience of a father, Jesus knows that, and yet there's something about this metaphor that he wants us to think about. I I think in our our 21st century Western context, it gets even more complicated because it's not just about the possibility of experiencing negative connotations of having a bad dad. It's the negative connotations of gender. That... You start to talk about God, the band Gungor sings a song, it says God is not a man, and God is not a white man, and of course that's true, but when you start to talk about God in a Western context, as a father, and use pronouns like he and him, you start to fall into this mindset of thinking that God is more like a man than he is like a woman. And you run the risk, maybe, of suggesting to the women who are trying to pray that Whatever you are in the core of your identity, you are fundamentally unlike God in a way that I, as a man, am not. Now, that I'm more in God's image than you are, which, of course, isn't true. In fact, God uses feminine metaphors to describe himself in other places. He says he's like a mother with a weaned child sleeping on her breast, just this image of tenderness and security and comfort. Um... The word father is just a metaphor of the kind of, a reminder of the kind of parent that God wants to be for his children who are coming to him through Jesus Christ. It's God's way of saying, I want to be everything for you that your dad was for you when your dad was being the very best dad that a dad can be. I want to be that source of guidance for you. The one who'll take you by the hand and lead you to where I want you to go, lead you to where you ought to go, lead you into a future of engaging in life as a responsible, mature participant. I wanna be the one who comes and finds you when you've wandered off the path and leads you back like a dad. I wanna be that endless source of wisdom for you see uh, parents see the world through a different set of lenses than we do. They look at life and the, and the world from a different kind of perspective, one that they 've earned through the experience of life, a perspective that you can 't have as a kid looking through your eyes and standing in your shoes and like our parents often just wanting to extend to us that wisdom, God is saying, I want to be that source of wisdom for you. I, want you, to help you. I want to help you see things for the way they really, really are. I want to be an endlessly patient and forgiving presence for you. In those moments when you've messed it up again, in those moments when I have to explain it to you Again, in those moments when you insist that you have to do it yourself, in those moments when you admit that you couldn't do it yourself, I want to be the one patiently waiting and forgiving and inviting and accepting and welcoming you, like a parent. Being the very best parent that a parent could be. God is saying, I want to be everything for you that I want to be for my own little girls. In my very best moment of being a dad for these girls. I want to be a bottomless pit of encouragement for them to cheer for them and say that I believe in them and that, that I know they can do it, just committing my life to endlessly lifting them up. I want to give them the stability of availability, just my, my sheer presence and attentiveness and interest and involvement. I want to laugh with them and play with them and cry with them. and I want to be interested in what they're interested in and I want them to just feel that I'm there. I want to be an endless source of hugs and kisses. Uh, a lap that's always open, a hand that's always reaching, someone always in need of a cuddle, trying to invent new ways of saying to my girls, I just adore you so deeply you could never understand. I, I want to be strong for them, protective of them. I want to... I want to stand up with them and stand up for them and then teach them to stand up for themselves and be strong in a world where they'll need to be strong. Jesus says, when you come to God, remember that you are coming to the one who who wants to be that kind of loving, protective, strong, nurturing, encouraging, generous, guiding, wise parent for you but it's not just our father it's our father in heaven and growing up I'll tell you those words in heaven really messed me up because to me the words in heaven suggested that God was somehow far away I uh, I remember going camping with some buddies uh, when we were teenagers and I was lying on the beach and we were looking at the stars and I just said to my friend I said I said, just look at all the stars now. I said, imagine that one of them isn't actually a star at all. Imagine that one of them is actually the light exploding out of heaven towards earth. And it was like this really super romantic notion to me at the time that you could actually look and see heaven, except what I was communicating to my own spirit is that God was literally billions of light years away. Like if I was going to pray our Father in heaven, I would have to, I'd have to yell just so that he could hear me as though he were a God who created the world and then withdrew to his own place and just kind of let this thing unfold, really uninvolved for all intents and purposes. But it's funny because the Bible doesn't describe heaven that way. this place that's far, far away. Actually, it's a translation error because what it really says is our Father in the heavens plural, because the Jews believed in multiple heavens. Yes, one of them was the cosmos with the stars, but another heaven, the second heaven, was the sky, the atmosphere, the place where clouds and birds were. And the first heaven was actually just the air around me and the space in which I move. The biblical perspective is that heaven is not a place that's far away, but heaven is around us all the time, interlocking and interweaving and overlapping with creation. It is simply another dimension of the reality in which we live, just always around us, just behind the invisible veil. When the apostle Paul describes God to a bunch of Egypt or um, Greek philosophers, he says God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being God is the space in which we live our father in heaven is not a father who's distant and far away it is a father who is around us all the time who is close closer than your very heartbeat it wasn't just the it wasn't just the where of heaven that screwed me up it was the what of heaven because if you'd asked me growing up what heaven is I would have said it's the place you go when you die And there's not an ancient Jew who ever lived who would have ever said that heaven is a place you go when you die. If you were to ask an ancient Jew what is heaven, they would have said heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. Heaven is a place you go when you die. It is the place where God sits on the throne as the ruler of all of creation, the one who is strong and powerful and capable and in control and sovereign over everything, the one whose power is being exercised in our world to guide things towards the way he always imagined things ought to be. Heaven is the control room for earth, where the king sits. And this is what Jesus is saying at the beginning of the prayer. He says, as you approach God, remember that you are addressing a divine parent, caring Nurturing, encouraging, sustaining, supporting, protecting, guiding, leading, offering wisdom and patience and forgiveness and affection and love. Remember that it is is a divine parent who longs to be in relationship with his children. Who also just so happens to be the cosmic king sitting on the throne of all of creation. That's the one to whom you pray the loving, heavenly Father, the God who loves you more than you can imagine and is strong for you in ways you couldn't possibly anticipate. I don't know how you internalize that, what you think, what you feel when you you hear that, but I want us Actually, right now in this moment, I want us to take a minute to reflect on who God wants to be for us. I want to invite the band to the stage and the host at your location. and I just want us to take a few minutes in a reflection exercise for you to to ask yourself the question of what kind of heavenly father, what kind of heavenly parent... You need God to be for you right now. I invite you as the host leads you through this exercise to open your heart to God, to your divine parent who loves you, and to invite him in to be the kind of heavenly father you need for right where you are, Right now, take a moment and open your heart to him. Jesus says, remember, you know, whether you use these exact words or not, our father in heaven, that when you come to God in prayer, you are coming to your faithful father who surrounds you, who is near to you in prayer as the one who is in control over everything that happens in the world. Now, what do we pray to our heavenly Father? Well, Jesus says the very first petition of the Lord's Prayer, this is the foundation, this is the basis on which all prayer is built. This First petition of the Lord's Prayer is is the most basic thing that we pray. And everything else we pray is built on top of this. He says, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Which would be an awesome thing to pray if we had any idea what that means. (laughs) It's just not... Not exactly accessible. I mean, first of all, the word hallowed isn't really a word that we use much anymore. If you don't know, it's a word that simply means to inspire reverence or to inspire awe. To treat something as holy or sacred, uh, as significant, and basically to worship something. Uh, the last time you used the word "hallowed," it was actually October 31st. In case you were wondering, it was Halloween, which is an "een," an evening that traditionally we would treat as, as sacred. Um, maybe you've heard somebody talk about the the hallowed halls of like Harvard University. You stand on this campus and you just think, the like, wow, the history. The scholarship, the everything that's come out of this or institution, it's just un, unprecedented, unparalleled. Except at Brock, um, you—if you read Harry Potter, you know about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, three legendary magical objects, and if somebody can control all three, they become the master of death. But these objects are revered; they're sacred. They're It's to recognize the significance of something, the transcendence of something, the sacredness of something in a way that inspires awe and reverence and worship that makes you adore it and treasure it and cherish it and seek after it. To go on a quest to find it. Jesus says the the fundamental prayer request that we pray is hallowed be your name. Your name, how would be God's name? What is God's name? What does that mean? Because for us, names, we've talked about this before, names aren't necessarily the most significant things in the world. We pick names for our kids essentially just to give them labels so that when we yell at them in public, they'll come to us, right? That's, we, you know, for us, Krista and uh, me, our value in picking the girls' names was simply that the names would be pretty and unique. That was, really, that was it. Our girls' names, I think, are those things. Their names are Arlie and Kennedy, which is the most common, and Trevi and Briley. I think they're pretty names. They're unique names in most situations. When I yell that name in public, only one head turns around, which is nice. The girls will always have this sense of individuality, unlike me, who was named the most popular boy's name in my era of History. I went to university and was lab partners and roommates with no fewer than seven other people who were also named Michael Uh, But my girls will have this name. That's individual, but it doesn't mean anything Arlie means a field full of rabbits and Kennedy means a helmeted head and Trevi means the intersection of three streets and Briley has no known associated meaning. It literally is a meaningless name They're just letters off of a boggle board, right? Like But that's not the way ancient people thought about names. Names had meaning. Names were intended to describe the core essence of the person who bore the name. It was like a mini mini personality profile. If you knew a person's name, you knew what was essentially true about who they were. Or at least who their parents hoped they would become. That's why Puritan parents used to name their kids Charity and joy and hope and prudence and chastity. I would have named all my kids chastity. Because uh, the, they just hope that their kids will grow up to live up to their name. That's who they are. When we got a new pope, he changed his name to Francis. To say, I am going to embody the values and the spirit of St. Francis of Assisi. You want to know what kind of pope I will be. Just listen to my name. It will tell you everything you need to know. Jesus says the fundamental prayer request that we come to God, our Heavenly Father with, is God, hallowed be your name. See, God has a name. God, the word, is not God's name. That's just a noun. And it's, a, it's a, a noun that can mean pretty well anything. In AA, they talk about the God of my understanding, which is not a, a bad thing for recovery. I'm, it just illustrates that the word God can really suggest anything to anybody. When you think of God, you think of your own Content, you have your own God concept that you're working with, but God has a name, and his name in the Bible is Yahweh. And the, the name Yahweh means, I will always be with you and for you. That's paraphrased, but that's the heart, that's the spirit of God's name. When you say God, you can mean anything. When you say Yahweh, you mean the God who has revealed himself in the Scripture and in Jesus Christ. God is nicknames in the Bible. He's called El-Roi, which is the God who sees what's happening in your life right now, what's happening in the world right now. He's called Yahweh Yireh, which is Yahweh is my provider. (coughs) Excuse me. He provides for me. When Jesus says that we're to pray, Hallowed be your name. What Jesus means is stop coming to God simply to pray for you. This is, this is how we pray. When you go to God, what do you pray for? Well, if you're anything like me, you say, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help Chris to get that position she applied for. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help my kids to grow up, to be mature. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would Keep my father-in-law safe. Heal him from his stroke. (coughs) Excuse me. Heavenly Father, I. Heavenly Father, I. Heavenly Father, I. Heavenly Father, I. And Jesus said, don't pray like that. When you pray, say, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Heavenly Father, you. May you reveal who you are in my life in such a way that it inspires people all around me to worship you, to see you as significant and holy, to cherish you and adore you. God, may you show up and show off (coughs) who you are and what you are like in such a way that people will worship you. Chris Fowler has always said that if people could see God for who he is, if they could see God as he is revealed in his names, they would run to him rather than from him. And Jesus says, that's what we pray. God, whatever is going on in my life, whatever you are gonna do in my life, may you show up in such a way that people's jaws just drop at how awesome and how good and how beautiful and generous and loving and just you are. May they see you for who you are and worship you with their whole lives. Everything else we pray gets built on top of that request. Everything else we ask for is simply different ways of asking God for particular ways of doing that of revealing through the way he is in our life how good and beautiful he is so that people's jaws drop and they run to him in worship and with that is the foundation with that as the perspective on prayer. That is a perspective on prayer that will change the way you pray. It will lead to a way of praying that will change the way you live. It will lead to a way of life that will change everything, not just for you, but for us and for the world that's watching us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would you reveal yourself, God, to us as El Shaddai, as you're called in the Bible, the God who is our sufficiency, that you are just everything that we need. God would you be in our lives El rofe the God who heals Would you be Yahweh Mekadesh the God who makes me holy Would you reveal yourself as Jesus which means Yahweh saves God, would you show up and show off who you are and what you're like in our lives in such a way that people's jaws would drop and folks all around us would run to know you and love you and worship you because of what they see of you in us. We pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen.